We've begun our series this month on the pathway of life. Psalm 25, verse 4, the psalmist says, Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. And I want you to know today that the moment you get born again, God has got you on a path towards victory. He's got an amazing, thank you. He's got a journey for you to take. He doesn't want you to stagnate. He doesn't want you to stop. He doesn't want you to pause. He doesn't want you to regress. He wants you to to excel and to move and to go forward. That's the heart of God today. And in this house, we declare that there's not one person that's regressing, that we're all going forward, we're maturing, we're becoming more like Christ, we're gaining more authority, more wisdom, and more understanding. Amen? Amen. So today, I want you to press in, to lean in, because God wants to speak to you. We are going to build week upon week this month. As Pastor Dean uh, shared last week, the great message that he had, that there's a path that God has. Salvation in Christ, our standing in Christ, our sonship in Christ, and our spiritual dominion in Christ. There is a pathway that God has got us on. And he wants us to progress and to mature in him. Amen. I believe that as we get older in the faith, we should become more excited, more powerful, more enthusiastic, because the longer you spend with Jesus, the better it gets. Yeah? All right. So today I want to talk to you about this concept of complete confidence in Christ, your standing in Christ. Do you know the whole essence of the gospel is to give you today, every believer, Absolute confidence in your standing in Christ Jesus. I'll say it again. The whole essence of the gospel, listen carefully, is to give you absolute confidence in your standing and your access to God. And this is important because every week, maybe it's just me, but I know it's you as well, every week, The devil will assault you and challenge you on your standing in in Christ and your ability in Christ and also the willingness of God to bless and use you. He's constantly bombarding us with with accusation and condemnation and limitation. They all flowed, didn't they? Because that's his nature. He is the accuser. He lives in darkness. He knows nothing else but to accuse. He's a one-trick pony. He constantly tells you that you don't measure up and you should just quit now. But the whole essence of the gospel is to give you confidence in God. Have you got that? And you're going to need it. You're going to need it. Hebrews 10.19 says that we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. We have confidence to enter the throne of grace And to access all the mercy and the grace that we need to give us help in our time of need. You need mercy today and you need grace. And God's going to give you confidence today as you leave this place today that you'll know that you know that the moment you get born again, that you have absolute access and confidence from day dot to the end of your life. You can stand before God. Free from accusation. There's a lot of troubling teaching out there circulating in the body of Christ. And I'm going to do my best to correct it and fix it. 
to give you confidence. Not a false confidence, but a confidence in the work of Jesus Christ. That's what we want. So are you ready? I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. I'm going to cover this two verses over the next two weeks. I'm just, there's three things in these, this passage that gives you confidence. So here we go. For what the law was powerless to do, because the law or the commandments, all they do is reveal sin. They don't redeem you from sin. So the Ten Commandments show you that you need a saviour. They don't save you. You got that? Right, so what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by flesh. In other words, we're the missing link. Before we get born again, we have no want-to nature inside us. So the law just exposes the sin that's in our heart. God fixed by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, God sent Jesus in human form to be an offering for sin. And so Jesus condemned sin in the flesh or in his body in order that the righteous requirement of the law would be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but we live according to the Spirit. So I want to focus on this first phrase this morning. Look at verse 3 again. It says, And so Jesus condemned sin in his flesh. Did you hear that? I'll say it again. Jesus condemned sin nature in his flesh. And this gives you confidence before the Lord. And I'm going to show you why today. There are two implications to this passage that Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. You want to get a hold of this because this will change your life. Are you ready? The first implication of that statement of Jesus condemning sin in the flesh is this. The debt of sin has been paid in full. Did you hear that? The implication of what Paul says in Romans is this, that the debt of all sin has been paid in its entirety. There's nothing left to pay. The Bible teaches us in Matthew 6.12 that sin is a debt that is owed. So when you think about sin, it's a debt. It's a legal debt that everybody has before God. Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we forgive others that sin against us. So when Jesus is on the cross, the last three words that he utters before he dies are this. Are you ready? The last three most important words for Jesus before he goes to the Father. What would he say? What message would he give you today that you could hang your life on? What did Jesus say? Do more, pay your tithes, go to church, don't forget to be nice to your parents. What would Jesus say to you today? Well, these are the last three words he spoke on the cross. It is finished. When you look at the Greek, this passage or this phrase means your debts are paid in full. It's the phrase they used in the days of Jesus when a debt was paid. They would write over the the bill that phrase, paid in full. And so Jesus, before he goes to the Father, he utters out to all of history, I'm going to pay your debt in full. 
There will be nothing left to owe. Not just the sins that you've committed in the past, not just the sins you'll commit today, but all the sin that you'll commit into the future. I'm going to take care of that with one sacrifice. You ought to stand on your hands and do a cartwheel. Was that possible? Wow. Colossians 2.14 says that Jesus cancelled out the certificate of debt. That consisted of all the decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He's taken it out of the way, nailed it to the cross. So every sin that you've ever committed or will commit, somehow in the courts of justice in heaven, there was a certificate of debt that was against you, that had your name on it, that recorded every single hateful thought, every sin, everything that you've done wrong, the things you haven't done and the things that you should have done that you didn't do. Every sin was nailed to the cross. Everything that you'll ever do. And Jesus said, I'm going to die in your place. I'm going to suffer in your place. And the Father and I together will make a decision that all your sins will be cancelled out because of what Jesus did on your behalf. Wow. Paid in full. How amazing is that? Hebrews 10.29 says, To believe anything less than this, is to trample underfoot Jesus all over again, to regard as unclean and unholy the blood of Jesus Christ and to insult the spirit of grace. And there are so many believers today who are trying to pay again for their sin, that are living under the weight of sin, that are feeling condemned, they're feeling like they don't measure up. And the writer to Hebrews, he says, what you are doing is insulting the spirit of grace. Every time you sit under condemnation, every time you feel guilty because of the sins you committed, every time you wonder whether God still loves you, every time you wonder whether you still have access to a loving God, you are insulting the spirit of grace. I believe that we need to lift up the sacrifice of Jesus all over again. See, this is a path to life. This will set you free. I'm going to show you next week the power of this. Because even in your sin, in the deepest sin that you've ever committed, you are just as clean, just as righteous, because it's not based on what you've done. It's based on what He did. It's not, God is not looking at you. He's looking at Christ in you. And He says, free of all accusation, free of all guilt, it's not about your behaviour. It's about his behaviour. It's not about your performance. It's about his. And knowing that it will get you out of sin. Grace will empower you not to sin. When you understand a loving God comes to you in your sin and says, I give you the free gift of no condemnation, no sin, no, no, no sense of unforgiveness, it will lift you out of your sin. It will empower you. Guilt and condemnation leaves you trapped in sin. Here's the thing. Here's the essence of the gospel, that change is only possible in the presence of God. That's the key. That is, you need to understand that. Moses proved that when he put a veil on his face. When he went up to the mountain and got the Ten Commandments and was in the presence of God, he thought this was a piece of cake. In the presence of God, you can do what God calls you to do. But the moment he left the mountain, he put a veil on his face because the glory departed and he realized he had no power 
to fulfill the Ten Commandments. Are you getting that? It's the presence of God inside us that enables us to say yes to God. It's the divine yes inside us. So the enemy wants to disconnect us mentally to cause us to think that we are separated from God and in that place we'll never get free from sin. I have a conviction in my heart. See, I don't want to sin. I don't believe that any true believer wants to sin. But I began to discover that even in my deepest pain and sin, I had a loving Savior who wanted to breathe upon me, who wanted to fellowship with me. Like he did when he came to Adam and Eve, when they were at their lowest point, God didn't say, all right, fix yourself up, cover your own mess, cover yourself up and come to me, come to me when you're right. No, he came to Adam and Eve in their pain and he loved them and clothed them as a picture to all humanity that I will never leave you or forsake you. It is a lie from the pit of hell that says that when you've done something wrong, that God is cross, he is angry and he's forsaken you. Jesus will never forsake those that are in Christ Jesus. Never, never. Now, I know that God wants to transform us and he's in that process. But even in my pain, Jesus comes to Peter. Jesus comes to Adam. Jesus comes to Paul. All in their pain and he lifts them up. In Christ, we have been forgiven all of our sins, past, present and future. Colossians 2.13 says, When you were dead in sin, God made you alive in Christ and he forgave you. Listen, all of your sin. He forgave us all our sins. He forgave us all our sin. I'll say it again. He forgave us all our sin. At the cross, Jesus looked ahead. God looked ahead. He saw all the sins that you commit. Most Christians think that forgiveness lies to the point of confession, that I'm forgiven for all that and for this moment, but the rest, you're on your own, Jack. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all your sins were forgiven at the cross. You weren't even born. The fact is that all your sins at the cross were all future tense. And Jesus made a decision at the cross to cleanse you past, present and future. And knowing that my future is secure, and even when I fall in my future, He's there to love me and pick me up. That gives me confidence. Confidence is not a dirty word in the church. We thought it was. We thought give people confidence and they'll run astray. But that is the actual opposite of the truth. Give people confidence and they'll be transformed. I had people warn me, you preach on grace and righteousness and you'll have a church full of sinners. You'll have a church, uh, they'll go wild because you give them freedom. Do you know the opposite is true? Those that were bound in church, those who were depressed in church, those who were that caught up in sin when they heard the message that Jesus loves you in your sin and He'll come and He'll breathe on you and fellowship with you and bring you out of that sin. They got free. Amen. They didn't say, oh, great, now we can sin more. No, no. And so I keep hearing this phrase, cheap grace. To me, it defies logic. Because when Paul taught about grace, yes, it was beyond our belief, but the grace that Paul taught brought us out of sin. When you understand the love of the Father, it will truly lift you up. So if you talk to people and they say, I know the grace of God, but they live in sin and they justify their sin and they boast about their sin, I say this, they've never known 
the grace of God. Because the grace of God, the pure love of God, will come to you in your pain and love you and bring you out. The Bible teaches that we were totally united with Christ in His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, and His enthronement. Everything that happened to Jesus happened to us. He took our sin, our sicknesses, everything we've done wrong. He absorbed the punishment and wrath of God. So here's the thought. If God has punished Jesus for your sin, is he going to punish you for it? He would be unjust to to punish sin twice. All your sin was punished at the cross. Jesus took your sin. What an amazing thought. Why don't you turn with me to Matthew 27? I got this at 4 o'clock this morning. This is just a little aside. Would you like to hear something? Align with this? Matthew 27, 27. The soldiers of the governor took Jesus and they gathered the whole Roman cohort around him and they stripped Jesus and put a scarlet robe on him. Mark's is a purple robe. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and they put a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down they before him and mocked Jesus, saying, Hail the King of the Jews. This passage, I believe, is part two of the wilderness. Remember the devil said to Jesus, uh, it said of, of the devil when he encountered Jesus that he left him for a more opportune time. This is the time. This is the devil revisiting Jesus with unfinished business. I want you to notice that there are four things that the devil offered to Jesus in the wilderness that he is rubbing Jesus' nose in and said, you could have had these things if you bowed down to me. He says you could have had a purple robe, which is wealth, riches. You could have had a crown of thorns, which is honour and victory. What else does he say? The reed, you could have had that. You could have had this sense of power and authority. We, we, would have, we would have bowed down to, hail King of the Jews, blessing, honour, glory and power. You could have had all those things if you had to bow down to me. But I have them. These are the four things that mankind lost. And because you didn't bow down to me, I'm now going to take those things and I'm going to rub your nose in it. I'm going to use man's authority against you and I'm going to beat you to a pulp. Interesting. So they spat on Jesus and they took the reed and they began to beat him on the head. After they mocked him, they took the robe off him and they put his own garments back on him. Here's a thought. Anything the devil gives to you will be used against you. Gave him. Put something in his hand of authority. It says here they gave him. What do they give him? A reed in his right hand. And they used that reed against him. They put a cloth, they clothed him with a scarlet robe and they took it off him. I felt God say to remind people today that anything the devil gives you, he'll take from you. This is a showdown where, where the enemy is stripping Jesus of the authority in his mind. He's taking the authority back off Jesus that he offered him. But I want you to know in this passage that what man lost, Jesus regained. Jesus was stripped of his garment and they put all these things upon him. But I want you to know at the end of the story, 
when everything was stripped from him, the garment that Jesus had was placed back on him again. His authority was remained intact at the end of this occasion. This whole passage of Scripture is to remind us that the devil who spat on Jesus and hit him on the head, now he has no authority to, to accuse you. They're words that spit. These are, these are accusations. He has no authority to spit on you. He has no authority to hit you on the head, to take you down, to strip you, because Jesus did that for us pre the cross and on the cross. This whole story is man being stripped of his authority and power and glory and honor. The devil wanted to give it back to Jesus, but Jesus said, I know you. Whatever you give, you take away. Whatever you give, it doesn't last. I'm not having a bar of it. I'll absorb the punishment. I will, I'll be regained with my authority, my clothing, and I will give mankind authority that will never be taken from it. It will be permanent. This work of the cross regained everything that we lost. Sin, sickness, glory, power, honor, dominion was fully restored at the cross. The Bible teaches us that sin will never be held against us when we're in Christ. Romans 4, 8, which I believe for memory is what David quoted, blessed is the man and the woman whose sins will never, sorry, to whom the Lord shall never impute their sin. Never, ever. God will never hold your sin against you. The Bible teaches when I do sin, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he's reminding the Father, not the Father forgets, but they're working together. He's declaring over the world that these are my righteous ones. What? See, Father has, Jesus has the ears of the Father. Father is listening to the voice of Jesus, not to the voice of accusation. And what Jesus is saying to the Father about you today is that you are righteous, clean, holy, without blemish, free from accusation, constantly coming out. He's interceding on our behalf, reminding the Father, these are the holy ones. Do you get that today? Wow. See, the, one of the problems for the church is we continually have a sin consciousness. We're more conscious of our sin than we are of our Saviour. And that's a problem. Whatever you focus on, you empower. If you focus on your sin and your failing and your weakness, it will get stronger and stronger and stronger. But here's the thing. In the midst of your sin and your pain, here's how to get free. Declare I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You will th- the devil will say, no, you're not. Look, look what you've just done. You're, you're caught in sin. How could you say that? That is the very time to, to agree with Jesus. Amos 3.3 says, two, if two want to walk together, they must be in agreement. So I've got to agree with what Jesus says. And he says, even in my sin, I am still righteous because the righteousness I have is not mine. It's imputed from Jesus. I have what he deserved. He took what I deserved. There's been a cha- transfer. There's been, he imputes his nature to me. So when God looks at me, he sees perfection. The devil sees my sin. He sees my condition. God sees my position. The devil sees my condition. God sees my position. And I pray from the place of position, not condition. Are you getting that? You go, well, how could you you pray like that when you're in sin? 
Because my eyes were on my Savior, not on my problem. When I'm sick, am I not taught to confess I am healed? When I'm poor, am I not to confess that I am prosperous? So why not when I am caught in sin, would I not confess that I am righteous? We are never instructed to confess our sins before God as a new covenant believer. Not once. Oh, if you know the Bible, you can make your way to 1 John. But my friend, that is not talking about confessing our sins as a believer. It says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness does a righteous believer have? This is a, this is a, a passage of Scripture written to, to people that were coming to the church to cause problems. They, they believed that there was no sin. They were denying even the very place of sin. They deceived themselves. And John's writing saying, you need to admit that you're a sinner and you need a saviour. And when you confess that you've sinned, he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It goes on to say in chapter 2, which most people forget to go to, that, that we have an advocate, who's, who's, we have this righteous one who's pleading on our behalf. And I want to say this again, if confession of sin is so important, which the church harbours on constantly, answer this one question. Why does Paul the Apostle, the greatest writer in the New Testament, never once instruct the body of Christ to confess their sins before God? Hebrews 10, 11 tells us that Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice once for all time. In the Old Testament, they would offer sacrifices day after day after day. And this is what the body of Christ is doing now. Please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me, Lord. Please, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I'm really sorry. I won't do it again. Forgiveness is about a debt owed. That's what forgiveness is about. Remember, we said at the start, sin is a debt. Forgiveness is about a debt owed that's paid. So in effect, what you're saying to Jesus is, you know that debt you paid at the cross that I received when I was born again? Would you pay for it again? He's like, hello? Didn't I pay it? And, and Romans says not only did he pay it, but much more. Not, he, not just he got rid of our sin account, he brought his nature, which is the positive side. So it's like paying off all your debts in the bank and then taking an unending reserve of finances and whacking that into your account and saying, not only will I pay your debt, but here's all that you can draw on. You've got all this money in your account and you're coming before Jesus and saying, Lord, about that debt, could you please pay it off again? So what do we do with sin? The Bible says that we are to repent before the Lord. Sin is missing the mark. We are, we, we, we are to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what I'm thinking when I do that, but give me your perspective. Forgiveness is about right relationship. Forgiveness is about coming from darkness to light. Repentance is about maturity as a son and daughter of Christ. You say that, that's just pedantic. No, it's not. 
One causes sin consciousness. One causes Jesus consciousness. One says, Lord, I know you've made me to be righteous and clean and pure and holy and pleasing to you. And my behavior is not adding up to that. So the commandments in the Bible are not lists of what you should do. Listen carefully. They are instructions about, it's like a mirror that shows you whether you are living the truth. And whenever I fail to live up to the instructions of Christ, it means there's something that I'm failing to believe about who Jesus is to me and I am to him. That's what repentance is. It's saying, Lord, shift my thinking so I align myself with the reality of who I am. Is that making sense? Forgiveness is about, about separation. It's about anxiety. It's about not measuring up. It's about punishment. Repentance is about cause me to see again what you see when you look at me. Because my behavior is not lining up with how I should believe. Does that make sense? Is the light coming on? Holy Spirit lives inside us. He makes us one with Christ. Jesus said, I will never leave you. In fact, when I go to heaven, I'm going to send one. I won't leave you as an orphan. I will send you the Holy Spirit. And he will live inside you. How many believers today have the Holy Spirit living in them? So if your sin, and you've all sinned this week. Has anyone not sinned this week? So sin is what you shouldn't do. Things that you should do that you haven't done and things that you... And, and the re- reverse, you know what I'm saying. Sins of omission and commission. So if your sin made you unholy and unrighteous, then here's the thought, then the Holy Spirit would have to leave you until you cleaned yourself up enough so you could come back. Because he's the Holy Spirit. There's only one person that the Holy Spirit has remained upon in all of history. His name is Jesus. Yeah? So when the Holy Spirit came to earth, John said, I saw the Spirit descend and remain on him. And so the key is when I'm in Christ, he remains on me. If I'm not in Christ, he doesn't remain on me. So if I sin and the Holy Spirit has to leave because I'm now unholy and unrighteous, then it's on me to clean myself up enough so he can come back. I will never leave you or forsake you. And I believe the Holy Spirit is ever present. Why? Because you are ever righteous, ever holy, and eternally forgiven. And so he remains in you. Thank God for that. Because in the deepest, darkest moment, I need the Holy Spirit to come and say, it's all right, Andrew. You're going to make it. I'm going to empower you and love you. I will clean you up. It's okay. Hang in there. David said, he's in heaven. And if I make my bed in hell, He'll be there as well. There is nowhere where a believer can go that the Holy Spirit won't be there. Listen carefully and don't misunderstand what I'm going to say now. But you can go into the darkest hole. You can join with people that you should never have joined with and he will still be there. You will grieve him and he'll be fighting on the inside to get you out of that mess. But he will be with you. And that's why the Bible says you better be careful when you join yourself together with an unbeliever, sexually, mentally, whatever it might be. When you you corrupt yourself with things that are unholy, you are the body and the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are taking him with you. And he's grieved because you are mixing holiness with impurity. And he's sandwiched in the middle, pushing you apart. 
Thank God for the Holy Ghost. So recapping, Jesus died on the cross. My sin was condemned in his body. The first reason or the first implication is this. The debt of sin has been paid in full. Listen to me. The debt of sin in your life, the moment you're in Christ, has been paid in full. That gives me confidence. I'm going to heaven. I might smell like fire, but I'm going to heaven. My Father loves me. And from that place, I'm going to be transformed. I will, I will pursue the path of life. You know why so many Christians don't progress in their Christian life? Because of this. They get stuck. Because the devil beats them up about their sin and he condemns them. You loser, you failure. And we wonder why they're walking around with a bung leg, with a, 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 a hip that's out of joint. Because they don't understand. And when you get this in your heart, you will progress on the path of life. Amen. Jesus is better than what you think. It's called the good news. The second implication is this. You can never be condemned as a believer for your sin. Well, that's a dangerous thing to say, really. Let's have a look. Romans 8.3 says that Jesus condemned sin in the flesh, in his body. All of sin was condemned in the body of Jesus. All the fullness of God's anger placed on Jesus. Jesus stood in my place at the cross. Think about it. All the anger of God for sin, the righteous anger for sin, because sin separates us from the love of God. God judged our sin in the form of Jesus. He was the sin bearer. And the difference between Jesus on the cross and every sacrifice in the Old Testament is this. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament, the judgment of God was greater than the sacrifice. So when the fire came down from heaven, it consumed the sacrifice and there was nothing left. Says that of Elijah. But when Jesus offered himself, the sacrifice was greater than the judgment, and he remains forever. God found somebody where he could exhaust all his wrath on all the sin of humanity, and Jesus could take it all, like we read before in Matthew 27, and still be clothed as the Son of the living God. And that tells me this the devil has no authority to accuse you, to condemn you, because Jesus bore all the condemnation for your sin once and for all. I am defanging the devil for you right now. Anytime he comes to you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and condemns you and says you are not worthy, God doesn't love you, you failed, you're miserable, Anytime he does it, you have the authority to take Romans 8, 3 and 4 and say, all my sin was condemned in the body of Jesus Christ, so rack off. In Jesus' name, just to make it official. Wow. That's why Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now, because of what Jesus did, not much condemnation. Except Sundays because you're feeling holy. Now, there's no condemnation 
to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he absorbed it for you. There's none. Zero. None. Zero. None. It's not coming from God. It may be coming from somewhere, but it's not God. There may be voices in your head, accusations and lies, but God will never, ever, ever, ever condemn you. He says in Isaiah 54, this is like the days of Noah. And I make an eternal oath for you. I will never rebuke you again. I will never condemn you again. And we've got all sorts of weird prophets out there saying that God's angry with America and angry with Australia. And, you know, he's going he's gonna to blow it up. My friend, are you forgetting the sacrifice of Jesus? How could God, the God who said, if there are 10 righteous men in Sodom and Gomorrah, I'll spare that city. And we have one who is eternally righteous. And a whole lot of righteous ones here. We're in the era of the new covenant where there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. The woman caught in adultery. Jesus said to her, you dirty rat. No. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sit down. If you had been brought up before the board of, of you know, the, the, the local church, we, we'd, we'd, be, we'd be reading of the right act. Oh. Yeah, the, the most righteous ones that pronounce the, the sentence are often the ones underhand of doing the crime. Because when Jesus began to write, all those so-called religious people began to leave. Because no doubt some of them had, you know, visited her a few times. We say, sin no more and we won't condemn. God says, I don't condemn you, so sin no more. Do you hear the difference? We say, get your life right, and then you'll be accepted. God says, I accept you, now you've got your power to get your life right. That's the way the gospel works. It's too good to be true. God says, I love you right in your sin. Now let's work together to get you out of that mess. Wow, wow, wow. I'll give you a little clue. Condemnation and guilt has never freed one person. Never. I lived in those churches. Didn't take communion some weeks because I was condemned. I go down the front every week and get resaved again. But it never helped me. I was stagnated in my spiritual growth because I did not understand God's unconditional love and forgiveness. And I've joked here before saying that I bumped up the, the stats on salvations in that church. We had 300 salvations this year. Actually, 365. Because Andrew was getting saved every day. And rarely had one person saved, it was me. So, I, you know, my, I have a little joke now I could say it because my father's no longer here, but I wonder whether he rang up the local headquarters and said, yeah, we've got revival. We've had 365 salvations this year. But I was stagnating because I did not understand God's unconditional forgiveness. I was stuck at first base. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. I know it probably sounds strange to you, but that's the way I was wired. Constantly beating myself up. In the old days, they would whip themselves with cords now we whip ourselves with guilt and condemnation. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. It's our freedom in Christ that delivers us. Oh, I've had so many P 
people get angry with me when I've taught this. You don't know what you're doing. You're telling people when they're in the midst of their sin that God still loves them and they're righteous. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Absolutely. Because that's what gets them free. I want them free more than you do. The most dangerous thing about condemnation is it desensitizes you to the voice of God. Listen. The most dangerous thing about condemnation, it desensitizes you to the voice of God. If you dwell on condemnation, you will turn God into the devil. Proverbs 19, verse 12. You ready? The king's wrath is like a roaring of a lion, but his favor is like the dew on the grass. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. I want you to know today that God stopped roaring over you at the cross when Jesus said, It is finished. 1 Peter 5 says the devil comes like. So come, speak up. The devil comes like a roaring lion. God roared at the cross, and now his favor is upon every believer. The devil comes now as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Wow. Doesn't the Bible say that the devil comes disguised? as an angel of light. So whenever I feel condemnation, it's the devil roaring and he's not the king. He's making noises that cause us to think that it's God that's roaring over us. He comes like a roaring lion. He wants us to think that God hasn't finished roaring over us, where in fact God is now in a new dispensation and he is loving us and pouring out his favour. And we are desensitised to the voice of God because we are tuned into condemnation. It's like being tuned into AM when it should be FM. It's like we're tuned into condemnation and guilt and God saying, no, 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 I love you. And we're over here saying, what's that roar, Lord? We hear prophecies and all they are is is God disguised as a lion roaring over his people. I hate you. Get your life right. I'm going to condemn you. That's the enemy. They are prophets tuned into an old covenant mindset. Sorry. This is what Paul teaches. Colossians 1.22 says that you are a child of God, perfect in his sight, Your spirit is without blemish. Listen, and there's no legal means that the devil can accuse you. But now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through his death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Should I tread on a few more toes? Anybody that tells you that the devil has the right to accuse you as a son of God Refer them back to this verse. I thought the purpose of the cross was to free me from the accusations of the devil. You don't qualify. You're not good enough. You're this, you're that. No, the Bible says that Jesus' death 
freed me from accusation and I can stand before the Father pure and holy. This is a problem. Too many people are preaching a gospel where it's about me measuring up what I look like in front of God rather than what Jesus did to measure up for me. God is looking at me through Christ Jesus. Why does Paul teach you are in Christ Jesus over and over again? Because we keep living like it's all about us and not about him. Remember my book, I taught you about the ark covered with pitch on the outside and the inside. That word pitch literally means a cover or the mercy seat. So when God looks at you, he sees you through his son. So God is outside the ark. Between the pitch on the outside and the inside is wood of the ark. That wood is a picture of humanity. So we are covered on the outside. So when God looks at our humanity, he sees it through Jesus. The pitch on the outside uh, covers our frailty. God can't see the wood for the pitch. We're on the inside. We're looking out, but we can't see the wood because it's pitch on the inside. Either way you look at it, it's Christ. And because the pitch covers the wood, we can't sink into judgment. There's no leaks in our boat. We stay afloat. The judgment was in the water, but we're above the water. So when people tell you, you can stand before God and, you know, God can accuse you and the devil can accuse you and he can get in here and he can get in there, just say, hello, I'm in Christ Jesus. Covered, clean, secure. And this will free me from sin. I think it's good. Well, well, well. Has this been helpful today? The gospel is not about you changing. Did you know that? That's not what the gospel is about. It's not even about being saved from sin. Well, it's even worse now. The gospel is all about this. God has changed the way he relates to mankind. That's what the gospel is about. If the gospel is about you changing, because every time I don't change, the gospel loses its power. If the gospel is about freeing me from sin, because I still sin. The gospel is about God changing the way he relates to me. He sees me through his son. The moment I say yes to Jesus, Jesus has paid the price for everyone's sin. Here's the thing. Either you will pay the price yourself because you're not in Christ, but the moment you get in Christ, what Jesus paid for, it now becomes your reality. There's only two places, either you're in Christ or you're not. The moment you're in Christ, no condemnation, no fear. Now look at me carefully. When you sin next, and I hope you don't, but when you, look at me, everybody. When you sin next, don't you dare, don't you dare wallow in your sin. Don't you dare be miserable for a day, paying penance, beating yourself up, Telling God you're miserable. Don't you dare do that. Because the writer to Hebrews says you are trampling underfoot the death of Christ. You're insulting the spirit of grace. You're not pleasing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in Hebrews bears witness to the fact that by this one sacrifice, 
We are made perfect forever. That's what he's giving witness to. He's saying, when you're in your sin, he's saying, don't you remember you are perfect? Don't you remember that you're free from accusation? Don't you remember that you have the nature of Jesus in you? Come on out of that sin and let me help you live up to that level. That's what he's doing today. He's not condemning you. The Holy Spirit does three things. He convicts the world of sin. So if you're not in Christ today, you need to ask Jesus into your life. He convicts you of your sin that you need a saviour, that you need to be in Christ. You need to get in the ark and not be judged. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is what? He convicts of sin. He convicts of... That's better. Why? Because he says, I convict, he convicts of righteousness because I go to the Father and you don't see him anymore. He's saying, I, I'm going to convict you of... And this conviction is not to beat you up, but to remind you that the son that left to go to heaven lives in you now. That you are just as pure as he is in heaven. He convicts you of that. Every time you fail, he says, come on, you are righteous. Live up to that. Live up to the standard that God has in you. You are better than that. I can see that you can overcome that. Come on, we can do this together. This is not who you are. You are believing a lie. Every time you sin, it's because you believe a lie. The devil's got in. I'm going to convict you that you have a new nature in you. And the third thing he does is he judges. And who does he judge? And he convicts or judges the devil. So where's the judgment of the Holy Spirit? Where's it aimed at? Say it loud. The, the Holy Spirit is judging the devil. He's convicting me of my stand as a believer. He's drawing the unbeliever into Christ. He's reminding me of who I am. And then he's releasing judgment on the devil. And every time he convicts you of righteousness and you say to the devil, I am righteous, go away. You are judging the devil and reminding him of the work of the cross. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. That gives me confidence before God. The first time I heard the grace message, the true grace message, because Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. But if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. And we think that means I'm either on fire for God or not. But if I'm sort of lukewarm, he's going to, no, 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 it's not about that. He's saying hot or cold, embrace grace in its fullness or the law in its fullness. The law in its fullness will judge you and condemn you and bring you to Jesus. Grace in its fullness will transform you. Mix grace and the law together. It's called mixture. It will confuse you. So today, every believer has confidence in Jesus Christ as their Saviour, as the one that's freed them from sin, as their confidence, as the one that is going to progress them on the path of life. Today on live stream, YouTube, even here today, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord, you need to do that. Somebody's going to pay for your sin, either you or Jesus. The wages of sin is eternal death, separation from God. See, it's, it's not about going to church because, you know, the old corny saying is that if you go to McDonald's, it doesn't make you a hamburger. It's the same with going to church doesn't make you a believer. You must place your faith in the work of Jesus. You must receive him into your life 
and ask Him to come and to forgive you of your sin and ask Him to bring you into Himself. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill your life. You must do that from your heart. The Bible says you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth and it will bring you to a place of salvation. Going to church, don't cut it. It won't cut it. It's a personal relationship with Jesus to be in Him. So that's what you need to do. If you've never done that and you're listening on live stream, YouTube or here today, today is the day of your salvation. Don't leave this place without making peace with God and asking Jesus into your life. Secondly, if you're a believer today and you're being condemned and judged in your heart by a roar of a lion, it's not from God. God's going to come to you in your sin and your pain and your brokenness and He's going to set you free. I want you to do something for me, but more for yourself. Anytime you fail or sin, I want you to say these words. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am clean, I am pure, I am holy, and I am being transformed. And I tell you, the power of sin will be broken. So I want you to just lift up your hands to the Lord today. Father, I pray for each person today that they would encounter you in all your goodness and your glory. And if there's one person, Lord, today that hasn't received you as Lord, I'm asking, Father, right now, by your Spirit, that you would do a deep, deep work in their heart. You can put your hands down now. Just keep your eyes closed if you would. And I just want you to be sensitive to what God is doing, what He's saying to you. And you've been bound and tormented by sin and condemnation. Just while every eye is closed, just lift up your hand. I want to pray with you today. If you feel like sin's got a hold of your life, that you're being beaten up by the enemy, quickly lift up your hand. Father, I ask right now for those that have their hands lifted. I'm asking by the power of your spirit that you would set your people free. Right now, let there be a fresh revelation of your unconditional love, even in the midst of our sin. You say that we are righteous and holy. Give each one of them a revelation of who they truly are. The lies that they are believing that lead them to sin, expose and break. I'm asking for a fresh revelation of your righteousness in Jesus' name.